The Holy Gospel of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, according to St. Matthew. When Jesus saw the crowds, he went up the mountain, and after he sat down, his disciples came to him. Then he began to speak and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And blessed are you when people revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. This is the gospel of the Lord. Let us pray. Gracious and loving God, who chose what is foolish to shame the wise and what is weak to shame the strong, save us from the vanities of this world and the conceits of our own minds so that we might find grace in weakness and become fools for your love's sake. In Jesus' name, amen. That prayer, of course, is based upon today's epistle lesson in which St. Paul reminds us that what the world perceives to be weakness and foolishness is often a sign of God's grace. And I will always associate these words from St. Paul with a story from my days as a middle school chaplain. There was a young boy, I'll call him Jimmy, who was then in seventh grade, and one of my few students who seemed genuinely interested in chapel. Jimmy often helped me with worship in quiet ways, as an acolyte or usher or crucifer, but his real dream was to stand up in front of everyone and articulately read one of the lessons. The trouble was that Jimmy had a bit of a stutter. And for that reason, he was mortified about speaking in public and always declined to serve as a reader, much as he secretly wanted to. I felt torn about the issue because on the one hand, I certainly never wanted to put Jimmy in a position of embarrassment. Yet on the other, I desperately wanted to help him overcome his fear so that he could fulfill his deep desire to read the scriptures aloud with clarity and confidence. Uncertain how to proceed, one day over lunch in the faculty room, I sought the advice of a friend and colleague, Sarah, who also happened to be Jimmy's history teacher. I have a thought, Sarah said. I am currently doing a unit on World War II, and my intention next week is to show the class the movie The King's Speech which, Sarah said, 
may make enough of an impression on Jimmy to inspire him to confront his fears about his speaking challenges and to take a risk. The King's Speech, as you may remember, is a movie about King George VI, known to his family as Bertie, who had imperial leadership thrust upon him quite unexpectedly. The second son of George V, Bertie was a shy and awkward boy, in contrast to his older brother Edward, who was debonair, confident, and handsome. Everyone always assumed Edward would become the future king, not only because he was older and therefore next in line to the throne, but also because he simply seemed to be fit to be a king. Moreover, little Bertie suffered from one other difficulty that posed an obstacle to becoming king. Like little Jimmy, Bertie stammered badly. In public settings, Bertie would become so utterly afraid to speak that he could not put two words together without stumbling. Bertie had all the wealth in the world, all the power of nobility, all the privileges that come with royalty, and yet none of this did him any good because he could not do the one thing people expect of a future king, to speak with eloquence and authority. And then Bertie's greatest fear comes to pass. Upon the death of his father, George V, Bertie's older brother, Edward, infamously abdicates the throne, and Bertie is forced to become king against his wishes. And not only that, but Bertie takes the throne near the outbreak of World War II at a time when the British people desperately need confident leadership, which only adds to Bertie's overwhelming sense of panic. The heart of the movie is about how Bertie faces the demon of his stuttering through an unlikely relationship with an eccentric failed actor who has made a modest reputation working as a speech therapist. For the rest of the movie, we watch these two men from dramatically different backgrounds come to know and trust and help one another so that they might together overcome the fear that underlies the king's stuttering, which in time, they do. So to return to my middle school story, Sarah showed the movie to her eighth grade history class, and it did indeed make the expected impression upon Jimmy. Seeing how he was affected by the film, Sarah, to her great credit, gently took him aside after class and offered to coach Jimmy so that he might be able to fulfill his dream of reading in chapel. And so, a few weeks later, Jimmy stepped up to the lectern and in front of all, read a lesson from Scripture. His reading was by no means perfect. There were some stumbles and halts along the way, but everything else about that moment was indeed perfect, including especially how Jimmy's words were received. As I looked out at all the students as they listened to Jimmy speak, I could see in their faces that they knew how high the stakes were for him. Like me, they were hanging breathlessly on Jimmy's every word, praying silently to themselves that he would make it through to the end of the lesson. 
And when Jimmy finally got to the refrain that always closes our lessons, the word of the Lord, a raucous cheer broke out. Never before have I heard a group of kids respond, thanks be to God, with such utter sincerity. <laughs> like Jimmy, each of us has his or her own vulnerability and all the anxieties that go with it. For some of us, it may well be a fear of speaking in public. For others, it may be an intense insecurity, an emotional problem, an isolating sense of loneliness, a physical disability, an addiction, or something else. But whatever it is, each of us, precisely because we are human, has some weakness that is part and parcel of who we are. The message of the king's speech and the power of St. Paul's teaching about the grace in weakness is not some sentimental message that all will be well if we just try hard enough, nor is it that we can always overcome our weaknesses. Often we cannot. The real lesson lies in the insight that true grace comes when we share our vulnerabilities with others, when we together name our weaknesses and understand them, and when with God's help, we together move through them and are strengthened by them. The great Lutheran theologian Dietrich Bonhoeffer expressed it this way, we must learn to regard people less in the light of what they do or fail to do and more in the light of what they suffer. I want to say that again. We must learn to regard people less in the light of what they do or fail to do and more in the light of what they suffer. To notice and reach out to another human being in her suffering and to stand in solidarity with her is the essence of holiness. From the vantage point of the world, nothing could seem more self-defeating, foolish, and wasteful than giving up one's own power and ambition to tend to those without. And yet, what Jesus teaches is that it is in such surrender that we find our truest identity, a life that is spent soothing the pain of the sick, caring for children in distress, hammering nails in houses for those without shelter, sharing bread with the hungry, visiting those in prison, and denying oneself may seem like a squandered life in the market economy of our self-centered age, but in the kingdom of heaven, this is what being fully alive to God looks like. And that is precisely why Jesus begins his famous Sermon on the Mount with the completely counterintuitive words of the Beatitudes that we heard just now. Jesus invites his disciples to see God's blessing in values that the world may well view as weak and foolish, Blessed are the humble, 
the meek, the peacemakers, the pure. Blessed are those who detach themselves from material things, who persevere in the face of adversity, who thirst for righteous and just living, who weep and care for those who suffer. Blessed are those who do these things, Jesus assures us. As the theologian Stanley Hauerwas explains, the Beatitudes are not a heroic ethic, but instead they are the constitution of a new people. These blessings are not so much a list of moral requirements as they are a description of a community gathered by and around a heavenly vision of reckless love for all that is precious and fragile in the human condition. Hauerwas explains, you cannot possibly live by the demands of the Beatitudes on your own, but that is the point. Their demands are designed to make us depend upon God and one another. End quote. We are living in an uncertain and frightening time, a time when our country is often turning away the weakest among us and acting more from a place of fear than compassion. Our place in history is perhaps not as different as we would like to think from the first century world into which our Savior was born. As we seek to find our bearings in the midst of such chaos, let us not be misled by the hollow words of the powerful and the privileged, but instead let us follow Jesus. Let us welcome the stranger. House the displaced, feed the hungry, find blessing in weakness, and look upon each other in our sufferings as much as in our accomplishments. And together with Birdie and Jimmy and all our other fellow sufferers, let us keep this prayer close to our hearts. Gracious and loving God, who chose what is foolish to shame the wise and what is weak to shame the strong. Save us from the vanities of this world and the conceits of our own minds so that we might find grace in weakness and become fools for your love's sake. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's sermon from Holy Trinity Evangelical Lutheran Church in Newington, New Hampshire, part of the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America. You can find us at htelc.com. And don't forget, you are loved.